Our scripture passage comes from the Gospel of Mark. We are at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry on earth. So far, Jesus has been baptized by John. He's gone out into the desert for 40 days alone, came back and called his disciples. On the Sabbath, Jesus taught in the synagogue in Capernaum and then promptly cast out a demon. And that's where we pick up the story today, chapter 1 at verse 29. Hear now the word of God. As soon as Jesus and the disciples left the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. Jesus came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. Then the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to Jesus all who were sick or possessed with demons, and the whole city was gathered around the door, and he cured many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. In the morning, while it was still very dark, Jesus got up and went out to a deserted place, and there he prayed. And Simon and his companions hunted for him. When they found him, they said, everyone is searching for you. Jesus answered, let us go on to the neighboring towns so that I may proclaim the message there also, for that is what I came out to do. And he went throughout Galilee, proclaiming the message in their synagogues and casting out demons. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. May we listen, O God, and hear your voice in the word just read and the words to come that point to the word made flesh, Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. How we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives, like it or not. Many days, I'm not fond of this truth. You see, I'm caught in the middle of a very important life, just like Jesus, just like yours. I have busy days where you may find me glued to my computer, practicing yoga, attending meetings, running errands, having conversations with several daughters, friends, and colleagues, scheduling doctor's appointments and blood work, which I still need to do. I begin to worry on these demanding days when I haven't found the time to step away, to get outside, to breathe, to recalibrate, to notice the gifts, the blessings, to give thanks to God for the goodness of life in the big things and in the million small things. When I finally drop into bed, I think, I'll do better tomorrow. Surely this day doesn't count in the formation of my life, right? And in these honest moments, I have to ask, how many days are dictated by demands from outside with little regard for my connection to God, who is the divine presence within me and the source for living a rich and satisfying life. Well, what a gift that we have today's gospel to guide us in this pondering. Mark gives us a snapshot of 24 hours in the life of Jesus. 
A couple of weeks ago, we sat with this passage in Lexio Divina. Every week at 9 a.m. on Wednesdays, we gather on Zoom and we hear a scripture passage read four times. With each reading, we are given a question to consider and then we are invited to briefly share our thoughts. You are welcome to join us anytime. It has been a life-giving practice for me to encounter scripture in this way. So during Lexio on this particular passage, I was struck by the busyness of Jesus and all that he was doing. If we reach back to the 21st verse, which would be included in this day in the life of Jesus, listen to some of the verbs or the action words that are assigned to him. He entered, taught, rebuked, he left, entered, came and took, lifted, cured many, cast out many, got up and went out, prayed, went out, proclaiming and casting out. And I think my days are busy. I also believe my activities are important or I wouldn't be doing them. I imagine you feel the same about your life. So here's a question to consider. Do you think what Jesus was doing was important? Of course we do. Jesus is preaching and teaching, proclaiming and embodying the good news. He's healing and curing all sorts of people's lives who have become unbearable. You can almost hear the exasperation in Simon Peter's voice when he says, hey Jesus, everybody's looking for you. And yet, and yet in the middle of this important mission, nestled in the unending needs of people that Jesus can help, Jesus stepped away to a quiet place for time alone with God. He intuitively knows something we tend to have a hard time grasping. It's like the story of the little boy and his father who were walking along a road together. They came across a large stone and the boy said to his dad, do you think if I use all my strength I could move that rock? His dad thought for a moment and then he said, yeah, I think if you use all of your strength, you can do it. That was all the little boy needed. He ran over to the rock and he began to push on it. He pushed and he pushed so hard that even little beads of sweat started to form on his forehead. But the rock didn't move. Not an inch. Not even a half inch. After a while, the little boy sat down on the ground. His face had fallen and you could see the disappointment in his body. You were wrong, he told his dad. I can't do it. His father walked over to him, knelt beside him, and put his arms around the boy's shoulder. You can do it, son, he said. You just didn't use all of your strength. You didn't ask me for help. Jesus shows us what it looks like in the midst of demanding days with overwhelming needs and tasks that are too big for us alone to turn to God, to turn to God for help, for centering, for recalibration, for refreshment. In her book called Mindful Silence, Felina Heritz calls this withdrawing to engage. She wrote this, in time, 
by withdrawing a few times a day for contemplative prayer, I realized that solitude was not a disconnection from the rest of the world, but instead a necessary recalibration for more meaningful connection with the world. So I want to pause for just a moment to say something about contemplative prayer, because I did not grow up in a tradition that emphasized this practice. Very simply, contemplative prayer is when we use our minds and our hearts to recognize God's presence. Contemplative prayer seeks to achieve a connection with God and is characterized by quiet, stillness, and simply resting in God's presence. We want to be careful about not making prayer too complicated or scripted. There are all sorts of categories of prayer, like confession, intercession, and thanksgiving. But ultimately, prayer is about relationship with God. Henry Nouwen suggested that the practice of unceasing prayer is a threefold process. First, we cry out to God with all of our needs and requests. Then we turn our unceasing thoughts into continuing conversation with God. Finally, we learn to listen to God in our hearts through a daily discipline of meditation and contemplative practice. The beauty of contemplative prayer, I think, is that it focuses on listening to God helping us to be rooted in the presence of God and aligned with the very heart of the divine. So, withdrawing to engage with the heart of God. Thomas Merton, the Trappist monk, wrote, it is in deep solitude and silence that I find the gentleness with which I can truly love my brother and sister. It's like time away with God increases the space between a stimulus and our response, allowing us to have a more generous, gentle, and kind response to our brothers and sisters. In today's world, if we truly want to be Christ-like, we are going to need as much breathing room as we can get. So let me explain what this looks like. In an equation, it would be a pair of parentheses with an S for stimulus on one side and an R for response on the other side. There's a famous quote that says, in between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. As you might imagine, that space is collapsed when we are tired, in pain, overwhelmed, or stressed out. Brene Brown, well-known researcher, professor, and author wrote this. I didn't grow up with any understanding or even awareness of this space. I grew up with the response starting before the stimulus was even done. Something happened, someone did or said something, I'd come out swinging or fearing or worrying or apologizing. No space, no choosing a response. Heck, not even the parentheses, just responding in a way that led to more stacked stimuli and responses. There was very little growth and very little freedom. She writes, 
I try to keep that space wedged open with my sobriety, sleep, prayer, working out, practicing curiosity, therapy, and intentional breathing, to name a few. So that's what Jesus models for us throughout the Gospels when he takes the time to step away to be with God. He shows us the best way to increase the space that allows for more freedom and self-care, which helps us to have more love for one another. Jesus compassionately heals, accompanies, cures, mentors, teaches, and cares for throngs of people. But guess what? He couldn't get to everyone. There were still more people to tend to. Yet, he continued to withdraw from the demands for time alone with God. Jesus shows us a rhythm of giving and receiving, of helping and being helped, of caring for and being cared for. In his regular retreat with God, Jesus was also able to stay clear on his purpose for his time on earth. The great architect Frank Lloyd Wright was found fond of an incident that may have seemed insignificant at the time, but had a profound influence on the rest of his life. The winter he was nine years old, he went walking across a snow-covered field with his reserved, no-nonsense uncle. As the two of them reached the far end of the field, his uncle stopped him. He pointed out his own tracks in the snow, straight and true as an arrow's flight. And then young Frank's tracks meandering all over the field, his uncle said, notice how your tracks wander aimlessly from the fence to the cattle to the woods and back again, and see how my tracks aim directly to my goal. There's an important lesson in this. Years later, the world-famous architect liked to tell how the experience had contributed to his philosophy in life. I determined right then, he said with a twinkle in his eye, not to miss the things in life that my uncle had missed. Jesus was on a path of purpose to Jerusalem and the cross to be sure, but I think his tracks were more like those of young Frank. He went out of his way for ordinary people who had called out in pain. He journeyed to the tops of mountains and to deserts. He enjoyed dinners and conversation and wine with friends and foes. He regularly detoured from the noise and the crowds and the unending needs of people he loved to spend time alone with God. Jesus consistently prioritized the care of his soul, giving himself permission to retreat and to be alone with the Father because he knew, he knew that it was his connection to God that sustained him. How we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives. When our days and our hours are all measured, how many of them will we have spent alone with God? We live in a culture where tireless striving is a virtue where busyness is admired, 
where the suffering is unending and the need for rest is considered a weakness. Jesus, the Messiah of the whole universe, rests, prays, reflects, and meditates. He needs time alone. He needs time alone with God. He is just like us.